0: Well, hello everyone. Welcome to the Park Hill Church Podcast once again. This is, I think, part six of our God breathed interview series. And uh, this has been supplementing our series on scripture why we submit to ancient documents as though they carry the authority of the Creator God among his people. And uh, because we believe they do with all of our hearts, we stand in a long line of people who live and die on the Word of God. And so, uh, this is what we've been talking about all through the fall, and we've been talking with, not just about, we've been talking with people who have made uh, their whole lives um, all about equipping the saints for the work of the ministry and learning to read the Bible well. And today, we have one of those equippers, <laughs> a leader of leaders uh, with us, and uh, her name is Dr. Lynn Kohik. Uh Lynn, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much, Evan, for the invitation. I love to I love to talk about the Bible. So it's wonderful to be with you.
0: Yeah, my goodness. Just reading. Uh, I don't. I don't mean to start with you know, uh, just resume or whatever. But like reading all that you've been able to do. Like l- looking at your Wikipedia page alone, I'm like, man, when does this end? Like, you've been so uh, used by God in so many ways, so many places, countries, continents, and uh, to, to equip people to read the Bible well and apply it to their lives today as leaders. So, thank you. Uh, I know your time is valuable and limited. So, um, I I want to ask right away, first question out of the gate is kind of like your Jesus, the Lynn Kohick Jesus story. Like, not only why are you a professional Bible person, but why are you a Jesus person? Like, how did that yeah.
1: happen? Yeah, well, I was raised nominal Methodist, and by that I mean we went to church maybe once or twice a month um, until I mm-hmm. was in eighth, I think eighth or ninth grade. And, and then the Methodist church that we were at uh, had a pastor and a youth pastor, both who were born again. This is in the 70s. I'm using the language of the 70s. Mm -hmm. And so I really heard the gospel then and felt that Jesus loved me. I don't have the story of, you know, I saw myself a horrific sinner and confessed my sin and, and experienced God's grace. What I felt as a teenager was just the incredible love of God pulling me towards him and accepting me uh, you know just as just as I am mm. my heart was strangely warmed as Wesley might say I don't mm. know <laughs> taking his phrase out of context but uh, I was then we were uh, the the church that we were at uh, my mom and I were at um, they uh, fired the pastor and youth pastor because they were a little bit too evangelical. So my mom and I went to mm. uh, a newly planted evangelical free church. And what was fabulous about that church was the pastor was very focused on inductive Bible uh, study for his preaching. So I just, every Sunday, just had a great Bible lesson, and that really helped me fall in love with the, with the Bible. And, uh, you know, I, I loved teaching. Um, and I, I kind of thought when I went to college, do I want to go into medicine? because my dad was a doctor, my mom was a nurse. But then there was chemistry. So I thought, oh, well, I don't want to really <laughs> not real gifted there. But I also thought, I, I love to teach, and I love history. I love the Bible. So, I decided to be a religious studies major and then from there go on and get my PhD in New Testament and Christian origins. So, that's, that's how I, mm. sort of my Jesus story um, in brief.
0: <laughs> mm. Yeah, thanks for that. Man, um, yeah, I just think it's so fascinating when people just begin uh, seeking God and, and leading the conversation around, you know, biblical studies. That's just such a fascinating arc to me. And it's beautiful to see Jesus build His church uh, using certain people in such specific ways. I'm just going to move right into kind of a meta question about our moment as a church, like 2024. And these are questions that we've asked a lot of these folks on this interview series, and the answers have been so varied and helpful. And so, I'd I'd love to hear from you, uh, Dr. Kohik. So, you're talking to a church, uh people who love Jesus that want to do right by God, they want they hunger and thirst for righteousness, they want to do right by their neighbor, and yet they uh have strong leanings about political policies. <laughs> and and next year is gonna be a beast, uh some some might predict. <laughs> and so how, so speak to those Jesus people. Um having not only seen what's going on in the scriptures, but also what's going on in the church globally. How can Jesus people in America follow Jesus well and do right by their neighbor well in our hyper-polarized and politicized moment?
1: Yeah, well, I, I think you're right. It's going to get worse before it gets better, I think, in terms of the broader, um, broader culture, uh, cultural back and forth. And everybody probably knows themselves how much social media and news and that sort of thing they should be watching relative to their own blood pressure. So I <laughs> I would say watch mm. that. But um, also, I would say make it a point to get to know Jesus well. Mm. And by that, I mean, as you read the Gospels, and be very intentional as you read the Gospels, what surprises you? When does Jesus act compassionate? And when would you have acted the same way? Or do you find yourself kind of surprised when Jesus is generous mm. and merciful? Um when he hollers up to Zacchaeus in the tree and says, "Hey, I'm I'm coming to your house today." Um, you know like is that something you'd want to, you'd be okay doing with your neighbor who's going to vote the opposite party? or sees immigration differently, Hmm. um, but also says they love Jesus, would you be willing to have a meal with them? Um, I think of uh, Matthew 15 with the Canaanite woman. Uh, That's how Matthew addresses her. So he's already identifying her with an ancient Israelite language, uh, the archenemy of the ancient Israelites. There were no Canaanites, technically speaking, in Jesus's day. They were Syrophoenician, as Mark addresses them. But Matthew's trying to make a theological point. Hmm. And it's interesting, at the beginning, uh, the disciples, most people think that they say to Jesus, just send her away, she's annoying. Um, and I wonder how many times we do that, Hmm. which is not what Jesus does. Um, And there are those, uh, and and actually, there's also the interpretation that the disciples are saying, would you um, heal her daughter? The Greek verb can can also kind of be used in, in reference to being loosed from a sickness or a demon or that kind of thing. And that's possible that they were also saying that. but jesus Jesus wanted to get to know this woman and to mm. show um, show the disciples in the watching crowd that he accepts all all people um, if they uh, humbly confess him. Mm. And so I think that would be one thing uh, to get to know. Jesus well. You could do it this way also. You could say, what does Jesus strongly dislike? Well, hypocrisy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You see that for sure, Matthew 23. He's very upset at the celebrity focus, um, the desire for public accolades. Um, Jesus says that these leaders ignore Justice and mercy and faithfulness—they're greedy, they're self-indulgent. So I think, okay, as you look around, if is that are, are you supporting those kinds of behavior, well, yourself or others? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think finally it, to look at what Jesus expects, and here I might go to Matthew twenty-five. Um, it's a, an amazing passage where um he greets with favor some disciples uh this is a parable but um you know welcome my faithful ones when you when i was hungry you fed me when i was thirsty you gave me a drink mm. and they they look shocked they, well when did we see you hungry when did we see you thirsty and he said well when you did it to the least of these you did it to me mm. and uh that it's so surpri- it must have been so automatic for these faithful disciples their compassion their mercy their outward focus on the vulnerable was so automatic it was so much a part of what they thought being the people of god was about mm. that they didn't they didn't even like notice it they didn't they didn't keep a scorecard <laughs> you know well i was mm-hmm. nice to my Annoying neighbor today, so that's one point in the plus column for me. Um, so anyway, that that would be, I think, ways to just change the change the discussion, yeah. refocus the discussion more on on Jesus.
0: Yeah, I love uh, you started see see Jesus rightly, just see him rightly in the Gospels, um, and, and then your second one. I liked and was uh, surprised by So, I hate what, almost like hate what Jesus hates. Like, do I dislike what Jesus dislikes? And then you listed hypocrisy. And uh, I wasn't Mm -hmm. expecting to go here, but, you know, you are training young men and women, uh, uh, you know, I imagine millennial Gen Z students. And um, what do you say to them when they talk about the hypocrisy that the church is supporting politically? and they're getting riled up about it, um, whether they see it on the right or on the left, and often, you know, younger progressives are going to feel that the church supporting hypocritic, older conservatives. So, uh, there's going to be like this tension around that second point you just gave, like, like what happens when the church seems to be in bed with hypocrisy? Like, how do you diffuse or administer to that? How do you step into that as a, as a to help them?
1: Yeah, well, I would say uh, that There's a danger when you see someone else sinning, even if you've diagnosed it correctly, of falling into the trap of self-righteousness. And especially when we expect so much of our lives to be portrayed on social media, it's very tempting to, um, you know, do present yourself in the in in the best light um, so I guess I would say uh, it's good when you note hypocrisy in the church leaders because the church always needs to be reforming and and for the sake of of the church itself and for its witness. It's good to point the problems out. Even even publicly is not, mm-hmm. to me, a problem, because it shows the watching world that we're serious about sin. But in so doing, just reckon with how vulnerable you also are to the sin of self-righteousness and hypocrisy yourself. Mm. And I, I think that that would be a good... A good caution. So uh, What I would say to the younger, younger generation: You'll you'll eventually get old, and should the Lord tarry, and it's going to feel just as weird to you, my, <laughs> uh, looking looking at your grandkids. Yeah, we just
0: we just did uh, Psalm ninety last Sunday in First Thessalonians five. You know, teach us to number our days, so that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Yep.
1: Yep. <laughs> Oh, it's so true, and you know, I now say things that when I was in my twenties, I swore I would never say (laughs) about uh, the younger generation kind of thing. But really, intergenerational conversation is so important because there may Mm. be reasons. uh, There may sometimes there is a lot of wisdom. Um, that the younger generation should capture but there's also blind spots. Each generation has blind spots so mm. the conversation is necessary.
0: So good. thank you so much. So I'm going to pivot to you've done a, a ton of work and and written and endorsed other works on the Bible's view of women and and you know I've asked the question this way through this series does the Bible demean women even in the text where it apparently clearly does? Uh, in some of the mosaic code stuff, um, dr. Richter kind of nailed nailed that for us in a beautiful the specific where the the laws around women are actually for their protection. She helped us in short order understand that
1: right um, right mm-hmm. um,
0: but you've done a lot of a lot of work specifically around the time that Jesus lived and second temple Judaism first century, and the greco Roman world and how they treated women and you've you've went so far as to say like the the evangelical church in large Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to misrepresent you, but in a big way, modern evangelical uh, tradition has misread and misunderstood Paul's heart on women. And I'd love to hear you um, unpack that for a bit.
1: Sure. Sure. Well, I think um, what happened uh, in, in the historical reconstruction of the time is that people assumed that women were passive, silent, and unseen. And that's just simply not the case. Much of the visibility of women depended on their wealth and social standing. Um, But wealthy women and women that had social standing were very public and could speak publicly. They could be understood as mothers of the city, which would have meant they had a lot of influence in how things and how things happened. Um, So that. And mothers had uh, lots of importance in their adult sons' lives, um, so that women uh, women were influential. Uh, women could own male slaves, so this idea that you, men hmm. were always in control of women just simply is uh, just not borne out by the facts. Um, women. Could be educated, but the higher levels of education, once they became, you know, teenagers and of marriageable age, reproductive age, they would be trained in their home. Tutors could come in, uh, but you also have women who are shopkeepers, and who are, um, in, you know, in the cities who are working alongside their husbands. Um, so, and in the in the time of the first century, you have the imperial family ruling things. So Augustus's wife, Livia was very well-known, popular, um, influential. Um, she was a pathway for senators who wanted the power of, uh, you know, wanted to talk to her husband and she herself, um, had agency to help, um, senators. So, um, the, it, you kind of have to look deeper, like, like you do today. There's some women who are very silent, and uh, groups of women, you know, poor women, less educated women, but then you have very uh, yeah, very influential women. I keep thinking of like Oprah Winfrey, mm-hmm. a most unlikely celebrity who has tremendous sway, public opinion sway, and uses that, as far as I can see, uh, in a really responsible way. Um, Yeah, do you want to ask a more specific, maybe there's a verse or something you wanted me to look at? Well,
0: what I was going to get to is all your work on the background of women in the first century. Uh, How does that lead to your current view, which you've written about? Women and men are called and gifted and blessed by God to co-lead His church together as as co-equal image bearers in the church today. Like, how does all your work lead you to the view that men and women can lead in all Areas of the church.
1: Yeah, well, I think um, what I what I where I sometimes start is with what we see in the narratives. So we see that Jesus, uh, in his discipleship, he has in depth theological conversations with women. Martha believes in the resurrection of the body, which is a belief not all Jews shared at the time. It was a view the Pharisees had, which would have meant she was um, uh, trained in some way. Like she had further education to hold that position. Mm. Uh, I've written a lot about the Samaritan woman. I think she is another woman who had deep theological religious questions, and uh, her heart was very open to what God was was doing. She just didn't have full knowledge because she's a Samaritan. She's not the um, immoral woman that she's so often painted as, but Uh, someone who suffered a lot, probably a widow several times and and, uh, potentially divorced sometimes as well. But her questions are so probing. And in the context, she is the one that does the will of God. Jesus says to his disciples, the fields are ripe for the harvest. And she's the one that brings the word to her town, and they believe because of her testimony. Mm. So they knew her; they knew that she was <laughs> yeah. a trustworthy person. Um, that yeah, I, I, I'm I'm unaware of any community ever that would give credence to the words of an immoral. Woman who sleeps around, like they, they just wouldn't. And this town believed her because of her testimony, which suggests to me she had. She it does, the text doesn't say she changed. She's not like the garrison demoniac, who's suddenly now in his right mind. Mm. She just they just knew her as a, a woman of deep religious convictions mm. and curiosity, um, and and so you know they when she. Told them the story that this was a prophet who who knew her life, and her life was an unusual one. Having five husbands is an unusual number. We uh, there's one man I know of, uh, Agrippa, who was friends with Augustus. When he died he was married his fifth time, but I'm unaware of anyone who has that number otherwise. So it's, it's not a good guess by Jesus. She can tell he's a prophet and he's not pointing out her sin when he says that he's showing her that he's a prophet. Anyway, That's so good. Um, people can read more about my thoughts on this. I don't want to take up all the time on the Samaritan woman, although I love her. But then you think of, Paul, and he has a co- co-worker's Yodia and Syntyche, and he's deeply concerned that that church in Philippi continue to grow and flourish. And these two women, who I think led um, communities, they were either deacons or episcopoi, the overseers. Paul addresses both of those groups. In the beginning of his letter to uh, the Philippians, it's the only place he does that. Mm. So I think the argument that they were in one or the other of those groups is a is a good one um and and so he's he's working closely with these women he works closely with Phoebe she's the one that takes the letter to the romans and most likely reads the letter to the romans and when they had questions tried to answer those questions yeah. so you could call phoebe the first exegete of romans and you think of junia who with andronicus gets praised very highly by Paul, also in Romans 16. They were in the Lord before Paul, and they're in prison because of their testimony. And so Paul senses a real kinship, not just with his their shared Jewishness, but with their service to the Lord. So I think of Junia, whatever you think about, I, I, she's an apostle, whether that, however you want to, inf- Uh, understand apostle, because it can mean messenger, whatever you, however you want to parse that, the point is that she's doing what Paul is doing, which is preaching the gospel fearlessly to the point of being arrested. And he sees these women as part of the team, Mm. equal members of the team, and doing things that Timothy and Titus are also doing. And so, I think that when I see what Jesus and Paul, and I use them because we know more about their ministries than some of the other characters in the New Testament, but when I see what they're doing, uh, I keep that in my mind when I turn to material that might seem to restrict in some way women's voice or agency or actions. Mm. And even when I get to passages like 1 Timothy 2, um, where Paul is um, talking about worship and the church, and he has yeah. already said to Timothy that there are certain persons who are teaching false doctrines. This is in chapter 1, and he's very concerned about false doctrine overall, that when he gets to chapter 2 um, and he talks about um, a Uh, let a woman learn in quietness and full submission, uh, that it is um, a a command there. Like, let her learn is not an option. It's, I want her to learn. I am not permitting a woman to teach is in the indicative form, which can um, help us understand that Paul's main concern is that women are taught the biblical truth, whereas with the Greco-Roman world, it, the problem is that, unlike the synagogue, these Gentile women would not have been trained in the in Scripture, and yeah. so they um, they didn't know. What was going on yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 let her learn uh is the imperative that's that's the command so that tells me and most of the time when you're learning it's so then you can pass it on but you have to pass on the correct stuff yeah you know, the the correct material and we already know that there's heresy going through this community so i look at those things and i see okay Uh, I command that you teach them. You've got to find a way, Timothy, that's socially appropriate and maintains cultural modesty. So it would be very difficult for Timothy, for example, to to gather a group of married women and have a Bible study with them, right? So he has to do things in a culturally appropriate way. That's why, for example, Paul doesn't... Say the same exact thing in chapter one to these men who are teaching false doctrine, because Timothy knows how to fix that. There's a cultural in both the Jewish and uh, the Greco, the the Gentile realm. Timothy can manage this because he'll be working with men. It's the yeah. It's just harder for him to figure out how do we teach the women. Um, especially as Gentile women. So, anyway, yeah. that's why we have the command. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I try to, um, yeah, go ahead,
0: go no, ahead, jump I just, in. Um, I, I was just struck, I was struck by <laughs> the Samaritan woman, and, and and it's kind of a microcosm of this whole conversation where we see a story through a certain lens uh, today. And I had never thought until this moment of the implications of the whole town believing a, a woman, quote unquote, like her, you know? <laughs> so I've never thought, like, uh, of course, the only reason the whole town would believe she didn't change, like, a, she didn't have some <laughs> outward manifestation that changed and cleansed. And she just was her. And she went back to the town. Yep. and and they respected and believed like their their faith was built on her testimony that is not the woman that I was <laughs> introduced to in in kids' class back in the day where she's just you know the she's the bad guy and she gets rescued from herself and she was she uh, you know
1: yeah. She's kind of seen like, uh, Sophia Loren. Wasn't she married six times? I think something like that. Yeah, Um, she, 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 she The problem of like is a Hollywood she's the star, problem. you know, I, I, I think she's pictured as just some, you know, gorgeous woman who, uh, marries for a year or two and then tosses the man out. Um, but women couldn't even represent themselves in court on their own. So, a woman could separate from her husband, but she couldn't divorce him. She needed for those papers to be signed by her male guardian. And so it'd have to be a male family member or friend that would do that. So it's not like she could independently divorce all these men. I also don't think she was barren. And that's why all these men hypothetically divorced her. Um, I just don't think, unless this town had a lot of Really optimistic men, and so the fourth guy said, "I know, I know that with her, I could have a son. Um, again, I just don't think that's how things work. I think she probably had a lot of heartache. I think she mm. lost husbands, and we know the death rate was very high uh, at that time mm. compared to what we experience today. Um, so it's remarkable to me that in in all that she suffered, Nevertheless, she still was so eager to know God more deeply. And you're right, that oftentimes when this the Samaritan woman's story is taught separate from Jesus's discussion with his disciples about uh, the harvest being plentiful, because um, they're in the town before she is, and there's no revival going on. They don't talk about who Jesus is. they just want to get in mm. and get out. And that's part of John's story. There's other little things like uh, he he praises her, or at least acknowledges that what she says is true. And the word "true" or "truth" in John's gospel is always used positively, or at the very least neutrally. Jesus is not condemning her or highlighting her sin. That not it's the language that. That John expresses here is positive. Um, and I I have to chuckle at times when people say she was uh, a woman who was trying to trick Jesus to get, get him to turn his attention away from her. So she asked a question about uh, Mount Gerizim versus Jerusalem as the place to worship. And I thought, right. okay, well, first of all, it is the Lord Jesus Christ who should have uh, a focus. like I don't think he's going to be distracted, you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it, that just see, that just never nor do I think that the gospel writers would present Jesus as someone who gets easily distracted, you know like he didn't yeah anyway. Yeah. Um, and also then, I think it also reveals for the modern scholars that make that argument that they're just unaware of the historical context. Mount Gerizim, where the Samaritans had their temple, was destroyed about a hundred years before Jesus has this conversation with the Samaritan woman. One of the Hasmonean kings destroyed it in around one twelve, I think, one ten BC, something like that. Mm. And mm. so it's a it's like it not within living memory, but like uh, the Samaritan woman, her grandma might have told her the story from her childhood or her mom's childhood of how this te- this temple was destroyed. Yeah. So it was a very important question at the time. This wasn't like a distraction. I think
0: yeah.
1: we just lack the imagination to picture a woman who's interested in theological questions. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, we just can't we just sometimes just can't imagine that there would be a woman who was interested in theology. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, so fascinating, just powerful. So I'm going to pivot to okay, here's a question. Uh, what's one part of the Bible you, you know, Dr. Kohick, are still losing sleep over? <laughs> and then what do you do about that? So it's not just, oh, this part of the Bible's tough, but like what do you do faithfully with God when you hit the toughness of a text?
1: Uh, one, one area that, um, I find hard and I just need, I need to do more research on, I need to, I need to ask my Old Testament colleagues about this, is the, um, descriptions of Israel in the later prophets as... Well, in my translations, it's often translated as "whore." I apologize for the harsh language, but um, but that's what the the text uses. And while there's mercy in in showing God's love for this um, outcast, the picture of a woman like this Mm. scares me because it feels like our society, it kind of gives our society license Mm. to speak and think that way about women. Mm. And I don't think the biblical text is giving us permission to do that, but it's there and men have. And most women, I think, experience this reality that if they make a sexual sin that that's just never forgiven it just stays with them always and it it mars their their character in a way that never happens with men yeah and uh and and I would say also is simply not biblical, but there it is. And so those... I think
0: it was you who said, uh, I heard you say it on your Alabaster Jar podcast, I think, either that or Beth Jones's thing, where in purity culture in modern America, men struggle with sin, women are... Dirty or something like we assume. Oh, the man sins sexually. He's just he's struggling with sin. It's different from his identity. Correct. W- Correct. Whereas whereas we associate the sin with the woman's identity if there's a ongoing issue of some kind sexually. And that's, that's right. That's profound. Yeah. And horrible. Yeah.
1: That's at least how we. I, I think how our culture uh, handles all of this. But as I say, I don't think that that's. I, I don't think that's what God's word is leading us to do, but it invites really bad exegesis. So I would like to know that that's a hard that's that's hard for me to read to read that uh, from the standpoint of a woman. I also have to say a this isn't a part of the Bible. this is a specific text matthew uh, seven twenty one uh, and following where uh, there are um, those who heal and prophesy and uh, cast out demons in Jesus' name, but he says, depart from me, I don't know you. And that, to me, is such a sobering ver- uh, verse because I think, how will I ever know my own heart? And, and mm. I think of, how did those people... So deceive themselves. They're sh- they're very surprised when they see Jesus, and he says, "I don't know you." And so I think, "Wow, how?" Uh, so I just pray, Lord, don't mm-hmm. don't let me deceive myself in that way. There's nothing I can actually do. I mean, it's <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, sort of by definition, I can't see my blind spot. You know, and I and mm-hmm. how, but how am I? Deceiving myself, rationalizing my sin. So I take comfort in the verse from 2 Timothy, a beautiful poem, and one of the lines in uh, verses of chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot disown himself, mm. and that's where I go to when I when I start to think, oh, you know, how do I know? I, otherwise, you just I navel gaze, right? Like, which is totally unhelpful because we we can never fully know ourselves, but we can uh, we can trust the Lord to tell us what we need to know when we need to know it and repent <laughs> of it, you know?
0: Yeah, my goodness, the sobering impact of. I never knew you, like Jesus saying that. Um, just a comment on that. Last Sunday, um, we looked at the Psalm of Moses. You know, teach us to number our days, so we may gain a heart of wisdom. And it says the title in the text: uh, "The Prayer of Moses, a man of God," or "A Prayer of Moses, the man of God." And <laughs> and it made me, it drew my it drew our minds to Moses. And we looked like you know the last line of the Pentateuch, the very last line of the Pentateuch and there would never there had never risen a man like Moses who who the Lord knew face to face it says <laughs> even though he you know misrepresented God and had huge lapses of integrity um, it's like whatever that is I'll like I'll have what he's having you know like
1: <laughs> exactly yes yes well he uh you know he 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 was in relationship with God. Somehow there was a faithful communication, and it wasn't uh, just all the celebrity stuff. It's, it's so hard, especially now with social media, to really know someone, mm. you know? You think you might know them, or... It's true. Yeah, you know, do you know what I mean? Totally. It, it's hard It's hard to trust ourselves, I think, in what we know, and it's even worse in in like my own heart, because, uh, you know, I I kind of like who, <laughs> you know, I think who I am compared to what God sees me to be, mm-hmm. you know, and so I might be reluctant to change my ways unless I really believe that it's uh, changed so that I can be conformed to the image of the sun, which is the promise, right, and what yeah. we're to do, so...
0: Well, two more questions on that, being conformed yeah. to the image of the Son, changing in a Christ's image. I had a question about change for you. Uh, yeah. In the last 10 to 15 years, uh, as you've been uh, working with Bible and people, like, where have you seen change, specifically in how you viewed certain texts or maybe even like secondary doctrines? I don't know. Like, where have you seen a shift in yourself?
1: Yeah. Wow when you had let me take a look at these questions uh yesterday to kind of think about them which was really helpful when i came to this one i was really stumped i think maybe because i feel like i'm always adjusting Mm. Uh, that's my job right to look at new theories to look at um new ideas so i don't it's hard for me to i don't think i've done a 180 in the last decade you know on anything that i that comes immediately to mind. Um, I I guess just in life in general, I would say that just in personal and professional experiences over the last 10 years, there has been lots and lots of change in my life. Uh, Health issues in my family, job changes and moving to different cities. Um, And so I guess maybe what I would would say, maybe it's not a shift, but maybe Mm. it's a realization that God is always there and is the rock that you can stand on. I think I have felt my feet slip uh, at times, or it's felt sandy, or the waves have seemed too high, Um, and... Mm time and again in these different situations where you kind of feel like you're uh, going under um, the waves that uh, God just, God just answers things, fixes things, makes a way, sometimes in such remarkable ways. i I think I am the kind of person that likes to fix things or, Likes to build things. Uh, I like to, you know, help God by when I pray say, and here's a really good way you can answer this, you know. <laughs>
0: yeah, of course.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've got this all covered, God. But you know, I'm just praying here to let you know, and if you wouldn't mind just flipping these few switches. But how He has answered at times, I think, wow, like that in a million years, that would never have occurred to me. And look at how you've answered this and been a blessing to so many others. As well as helping me, so I guess that's uh um, so good <laughs> yeah that that's sort of how I might answer the change
0: question <laughs> Sh- just shifted into more faith in more faith in what God has yeah. revealed about himself, man, I wish I could answer that question more like that That i f- <laughs> I feel like you just gave a lot of people permission mm-hmm. uh to 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 believe in Jesus, like it's hard to believe in Jesus, yeah and uh and yet his, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. And yet, he says, "Take up the cross and die if you follow." So there's it's easy and it's death, and and uh, it's just beautiful to hear that you're you're almost like I have no other answer, but where else shall I go?
1: Exact Yes. Yes. Very much. Very much. That's
0: so beautiful. Well, then my last question for you, <laughs> uh, Lynn. First of all, thank you. And when when we're done, I'm gonna uh, stop the recording. And it'll keep uploading, so we'll stay on until then. But yeah. my last question, uh, it's kind of, I mean, it's you basically just answered it, I guess. But if, more personally, um, uh, you're a professional Bible person. Bible is your job. Uh, also, Bible is where the Trinity wants to meet the daughter of God, Lynn, and impart his his love to you, like that's where he wants to he wants to act in and with and upon you through the text. So how do you make that shift? and what does that look like when you Bible's my job, and now, oh my gosh, communion and union with the living God. Yeah. What yeah. does that look like for you?
1: Yeah, well, I would say a couple of things. Um, i it, I try to with my cup of coffee in the morning um now because I you know don't have. Kids that I'm taking off to school or babies to take care of, I can actually have a morning. So I I want I want all listeners to know (laughs) uh, why I can do this cup of coffee in the morning, Um, but I do, and I have a special chair that I sit in, and especially like it's not my I don't sit down at my work desk, Mm. and I use a Bible that's one of those. Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, and Proverbs, so you can read the Bible through a year. I would never teach with that kind of format. It it almost jumbles things up, right? You know, mm. and but that uh, then puts me in a non-academic space. So mm. I do that. Wow. I use the New Living Translation um, because, again, that tends to not be a translation that I will teach from. Um, and so just because it, I mean, it's, it's very conversational and that's what I'm having a conversation with God and I want to hear God, you know, and so use a translation that I wouldn't, uh, th- that I, that I keep for my devotions, um, or randomly sometimes when, especially when I'm reading in the old Testament, I'll look at the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew, uh, just to see. How because that was what so many of the New Testament authors used how how they might be hearing the text so I sometimes do that Um, Mm. and it also is yeah very uh, I love I love to walk outside and to ride my bike outside I have one of those um, oh I forget what they, they don't have. Uh, hand brakes at all. They don't have gears. I forget what they're
0: Oh, like a fixie or something?
1: Yeah. A I mean fix, it's, fixed, just, gear, it's just it's just literally like the old fashioned, you know, 1930s bike, although this isn't from the 1930s. But I mean it's just it Ooh. it has nothing fancy. Um which is perfect for flat ground because then you actually get a little bit of exercise. Um but just that movement out in God's creation gives me uh a space I think at times to hear God um, I can I can hear him sometimes better outside so that mm. that's what I would say to
0: beautiful that question. well with that I just again I've, <laughs> I can't thank you enough uh, Lynn for being present to our community in this way uh, you're yeah everyone if you are interested in continuing to hear her just speak into faith and scripture and culture and all and all the thing, all the questions that we're asking today her podcast alabaster jar and then you can search dr lynn kohik kohik with a c and you know get get any of her works uh that she's written on on these things we've been discussing thank you lynn so much for being with us for this interview series and uh yeah well,
1: thank you very much i uh you know it's never a it's never burden to talk about Jesus. I love it. <laughs> yeah.
0: I love it so much. Thanks so much. Well, uh, Park Hill, have an amazing week, and um, we're about to step into Advent. So, uh, may the Lord bless and keep you, and we'll see you on Sunday. Peace.